Let's go before the Lord this morning in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for an opportunity that we have now to look to your word. God, I pray that you would be with us, that you would encourage us, that you'd bless us, that you would work mightily and miraculously in this time. God, I pray and ask that we would not only have ears to hear, but hearts to listen, to apply your word, to live in light of your word. God, I thank you for your spirit who lives in us. I thank you that he is working in our hearts and in our minds to help us not only understand, but also to apply these truths of this book. God, I pray that you would help us to remain steadfast in relying on your grace as we do so. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, and we took a little bit of a break last week for Christmas. But today we pick up where we left off with Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look specifically at verses 6 through 9. But before we do so, I just want to remind you about what Galatians is all about, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he planted a a bunch of churches, and some of those churches were in an area called Galatia. So Galatia is not really a city, it's a region. There's several cities, several churches within this region. And when Paul had planted the churches and left, and he went away, some false teachers had come into the church, and they'd begun to pervert the gospel. And if you remember that when you pervert the gospel, it ceases to be good news. It no longer was the gospel. So any deviance from the good news was no longer good news at all. And Paul is writing to this church, correct, or these churches correcting their false view of the gospel and pointing them back to Christ, pointing them back to God's grace. So hence our sermon series is beholding the grace of God or looking at, staring at, marveling at the grace of God. And when you think of Galatians, I want you to think of God's grace, God's unmerited, unearned favor, because that's what the message of the gospel is all about. And that's what Paul is concerned with as he addresses these churches. You know, it's interesting. I think it's very easy for us to depart from the gospel of grace. It's very easy for churches to get saved by grace, to hear the gospel, to be saved by grace, but then to think that somehow we grow by our own human effort. And Paul says that's not at all the case. That you weren't saved by keeping the law. You aren't growing by keeping the law. And he's addressing these these believers and saying, don't be led astray by these false teachers who are saying you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this in order to be right with God. That it's only, it's a gift of God, it's a gift of grace through faith that you are saved. We saw that last week. So with that in mind, we're going to continue to look at our text in Galatians. We're actually going to back up to verse 1 and I'll read Galatians 3 verses 1 through 9 this morning. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law 
or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're looking specifically at verses 6-9, through but I kind of want to back up and look at 1-5 through as well and review last week's, or the message from two weeks ago, because these two messages fit together, because this text, these two texts fit together. We see in verses 1-5, through we see some key truths about God, who He is and what He has done for us through His grace, and then in today's text, verses 6-9, through we see an example of that. So we see what God has done and is doing in verses 1 through 5. And then in 6 through 9, we see the specific example of that being played out in the life of Abraham. So Abraham is given as an example of how God saves his people by grace through faith. So last week, if you remember, the first point that we saw, or two weeks ago, excuse me, the first point we saw was that God, by his grace, awakens us. Paul said, remember, it was before your own eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, he said, it was so evident to you that when I came to you, I preached the gospel to you, it was almost as though you could see Jesus Christ being crucified right before your eyes. It was as though it happened right in front of you. And God opened their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And I pray that God has opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. That there was a time in your life when you can look back and say, God, open my eyes to the truth of the fact that He saved me by grace, that, that, that I realized what Christ had done. That though I was a sinner, He died in my place for my sins. I pray that God has opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. And that you can say, just like the Galatians, I believe I can see, I could almost see Jesus crucified before my own eyes because it was real. Secondly, we saw that God, by His grace, saves us. So not only does God, by His grace, awaken us to the truth of the Gospel, God, by His grace, saves us. It's not that we're so smart that we can believe the Gospel message. It's not that some of you are smarter than others. Or that you have the intellect versus the world who doesn't have the intellect to hear the gospel message and not understand it, but God opened your eyes to it. And in the same way, it's only by grace that you're saved. I remember uh, before I was a believer, I remember um, I, I got a gospel tract one time. I opened up a, a box and there was a gospel tract and it said, Smile, Jesus loves you. And I remember reading the gospel message. I remember reading that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins. I remember reading that He paid the penalty that I rightly deserved. I could, I could understand these things, but my eyes were closed to them. I didn't really fully understand or I didn't apply them. It wasn't until God opened my eyes to them. And then when He opened my eyes to them, He saved me 
by His grace. It wasn't because of my own doing. And that was evidenced by Him giving me the Holy Spirit. We know that we're saved because we have the Holy Spirit who is given as a deposit, Scripture says, as a down payment for the fact, for, to show us that He is indeed going to follow through with His promise to ultimately rescue us. Paul said, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit? This is what he wrote to the Galatians in verses 1-5. through He said, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit? And how did that happen? When you received the Holy Spirit, was it, was it the result of your own goodness? Were you such a good person that God said, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to dwell inside of you because you're so great. You are so good. He says, was it because you were able to keep the law? Were you able to live a life of perfect obedience in every way? Or, Galatians, was it because you heard the truth of the Gospel and you understood and you received the truth of the Gospel by faith? Which was it, Galatians? So he says, God, by His grace, awakens us. God, by His grace, saves us. And then thirdly, we see that God, by His grace, grows us. And this is evidenced by the fact that while our flesh is weak, the Spirit bears wonderful fruit. In Galatians, he's going to go on and talk about this fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That those things are indeed fruit of the Spirit. They're the things that flow through us and out of us because of the Spirit's work in us. It's only by God's grace. He says, are you being perfected by the flesh? This is what he says in verse 3. Are you being perfected by the flesh? Or... Is it that the gracious work of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, bears wonderful fruit? Which is it, Galatians? So then fourthly, he says, God by His grace sustains us. So not only does He awaken us, save us, grow us, but He also sustains us. Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Did you forget the outcome, the results of your suffering? Have you forgotten that God poured out His grace to you during that time? That as you suffered, God's grace was with you and you were able to stand up and endure it? And then fifthly, he said, God, by His grace, empowers us. We see that that's evidenced by God using us for His glory and enabling us to live godly lives. We see this when Paul says, Does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you. He does miraculous deeds among you. Does He do that by the works of the law, or is it by hearing with faith? Which is it? Is it because you're so great, or because God is so great? Is it because you're righteous, or is is it because God's grace has been given you? You see, and these are the things that we need to remember as we look at the life of Abraham. And I don't want us to forget these things. That God by His grace awakens us. That God by His grace saves us. That He grows us. That He sustains us. That He empowers us. And we lose sight of those things so very easily. Sure, we talk about being saved by grace. But do we really think about the work that God has done and continues to do in us and growing us and sustaining us and empowering us for ministry? That He's working miracles among us? So we should praise God for His unmerited favor in those things. So it's with that in mind that I want to look at verses 6 through 9. Paul begins verse 6 and he says this. He says, even so. In other words, he's saying, in the ESV it says, know then, so there's a connection. 
That's why we have to understand 1 through 5 in order to understand 6 through 9. He says, know then, in light of this, know, or by way of example, I want you to know that God, by His grace, opened Abraham's eyes. He says, even so, Abraham believed God. So he says, by way of example, I want you to see that God opened Abraham's eyes. See, Abraham was a man of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us about that. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance, it's the surety of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And he goes on, and the the author of Hebrews says, in in verse 8 of chapter 11, says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And, And he went out not knowing where he was going. God called him and said, go out. And he said, okay. And he went. And by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. It says, and he was looking for a city, the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a kingdom. He was looking to be part of a kingdom and live in a city where, that God would build. And if you remember our time in the book of Zechariah, you'll remember that this speaks to a kingdom that we live in now, but also a kingdom that is to come. So it's a kingdom that's realized in part now. We live in this kingdom. We live in a city without walls. It has no geographical boundaries. We're part of God's kingdom. We're heirs of the promise in that way. But we're waiting for Christ to return to establish the new Jerusalem here on earth. He goes on and he says, By faith Sarah believed herself Uh, she received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and and innumerable as the sand which is is by the seashore. So he says, Abraham was told to leave his home and go out and trust God and he believed and he did it. He goes on in verses 17 through 19, and he says, By faith Abraham, so he gives another example in Hebrews, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. So not only did he step out in faith, follow God to a land which he did not know because he believed God's promise, but when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. So the author of Hebrews says, remember, God told Abraham, in Isaac you're going to have many descendants. As many as the the sand on the seashore. You're going to have a great number of descendants. And then he said, now offer up this son. And surely Abraham would would have thought, how can this be? How can I have many descendants if I'm going to offer up this son as a sacrifice, if I'm going to put him to death. But you know what? He trusted God. He had absolute, total faith in God. Verse 19 says, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. From which He also, and that's uh, figuratively, He's saying from which He also received Him back. He he realized that if God's able to, to bring people back from the dead... Even if I offer up my son Isaac, he will be able to do that which he has purposed. 
He will be able to bring him back from the dead and he will be able to accomplish his will for my life. That's faith, folks. I struggle oftentimes with the faith of getting up here and preaching a simple sermon. I struggle with the faith of if if the checkbook is low and the bills are high. Abraham steps out in faith to a land he doesn't know, leaves everything behind. Abraham believes God and says, yes, I'm going to have many descendants. Even though I'm an old man, I'm as good as dead. I'm going to step out and I'm going to, I finally got my son and I'm going to offer him up as a sacrifice because God told me to do it. And I believe that his promises will hold. That God is able to do that which he said he would do. You see, Abraham didn't just believe an idea or a concept. Abraham didn't just believe that God existed. For Scripture says, even the demons believe, and they shudder. There's a certain belief where we can just believe in God, but not trust in God. Abraham had a complete trust or reliance upon God, and that's what's spoken of here in this text, and what's spoken of with regard to Abraham's faith. In other words, Abraham's faith resulted in action. It was the kind of faith that caused him to leave his home. It's the kind of faith that, that caused him to offer up his son. You see, Abraham's faith was not the fair-weather, shallow, intellectual ascent that we so often see referred to as faith today. And I don't want to be too hard, but I also want to really point to what Abraham was living and experiencing. This is real faith, folks. You see, Abraham's faith was nothing short of miraculous. It wasn't that Abraham was so great. It wasn't that Abraham... My fear with any message like this is that you leave this and you think, glory be to Abraham! I need to be like Abraham! That is not at all the point of this message. The point is that God bestowed grace upon Abraham. That God miraculously allowed him, gave him the strength, the ability to trust in him. It was a gift. So the point of Genesis and Galatians and Romans, the point that those books make is not that Abraham was great because he trusted God, but that God was gracious to Abraham. And he opened his eyes and he gave him the gift of faith. And I pray that God has done the same thing for you, that He's opened your eyes to the truth of the Gospel. And I pray that you don't depart from that. That God doesn't open your eyes so that you can walk away and go, you know, I don't understand why the world doesn't get it. I don't understand how they can be so foolish to sit home and watch, watch TV on Sunday morning or read their newspaper or do these horrible things they do. They're, they're, You've got men marrying men and women marrying women. You've got all these horrible things and we bemoan what the world is doing. And we think, but we are smarter than that. We heard the Gospel and we received it with joy. It's a gift. Even faith. Faith is miraculous. It is nothing short of a miracle that you can say, I believe the truth of the Gospel. God opened your eyes to that and He deserves the glory for that. That's exactly what Ephesians 2 is talking about. Paul writes Ephesians 2, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it, that is the faith, is the gift of God. You've been saved by grace through faith, and that faith is a gift. It's a gift from God. Not as a result of works. It's not because of your own goodness. Even your goodness of being smart enough to receive the Gospel. 
So as believers, we praise God for His opening our eyes to the truth of the Gospel. And we should pray for those around us that He would open their eyes to the truth of the Gospel. We need to be faithful in proclaiming it, for sure. But we also pray that God would be the one who would open their eyes to it, just as He did Abraham. So having seen, number one, that God, by His grace, opened Abraham's eyes, now let's consider, number two, that God, by His grace, saved Abraham. He saved him. He opened his eyes to the truth that he was able to do that which he promised he would do. So now he also, by his grace, declares him righteous. He credits his account as being righteous. In other words, Abraham wasn't righteous, folks. God wouldn't have needed to declare him righteous if he was already righteous. The whole point is that he wasn't righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. You see, none of us can stand before a holy God and say, I'm righteous, I have the right to stand before you because I am without sin. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ, it is only by God's grace that we can stand before a holy God. God, by His grace, saved Abraham. It says, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, his faith, his belief, his trust. This is a direct quote, by the way, of Genesis 15, 6. It says, the Lord came to Abram. His name was Abram, and God changed it to Abraham. The Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And then God took him outside, verse 5 says, and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. You're going to have more descendants than you can possibly imagine or count, Abram. And Abram's response was, so be it. Just like we saw last week, that Mary's response was, so be it. I am a servant of the Lord. Use me. Abram said, okay, I believe it. Verse 6, Genesis 15, Then he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The point that Paul is making in Galatians 3 is that Abraham trusted God and not himself. He knew he couldn't make for himself that many descendants. Surely he tried. He was an old man, right? The, The time was up. There was no chance of it happening. And he didn't know how God was going to accomplish all that he said he would. He didn't need to know how. He just trusted in the promises of God. And there's a great lesson for us in that. God has given us many promises in His Word. And we don't need to know how they're going to always play out. We just trust that He will indeed accomplish them. Some of the times of greatest times of growth are when we can't see how they're going to play out. When God says, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to carry you through to completion... When God says, I'm going to hold you up under this trial and I'm going to give you strength to endure it, when we see no way through it. It is during those times that we grow 
the most. Because we lay aside our own strength and we rely heavily on Him. You see, Abraham didn't know how God was going to accomplish this. In fact, it seemed humanly impossible. After all, as the book of Hebrews said, as we read earlier, it says Abraham was so old, he was as good as dead. I don't know if you've done the math or how that makes you feel, right? As I get closer to Abraham's age and I realize, I'm like, come on, as good as dead? He wasn't that old. But the point is, he couldn't have kids. It wasn't going to happen. Human wisdom didn't say it was improbable. Human wisdom said it's impossible. You know what's awesome? God majors in the impossible. That's where God functions oftentimes. That's the miraculous. So when Paul said to the Galatians, when he said to them, do you not remember that it's He who provides you the Spirit and works miracles among you? Don't forget that. Then he says, look at Abraham. He worked a miracle with him. Because Abraham knew that all things with God were possible. So having seen, number one, that God by His grace opened Abraham's eyes, and number two, God by His grace saved Abraham, now I want you to consider thirdly that God by His grace grew, sustained, and empowered Abraham. Just like we saw in verses 1-5, through that God grows us, He sustains us, and He empowers us by His grace. The same is true even in Abraham's life. That's why... Paul uses Abraham as the perfect example. Romans 4 is probably uh, the best commentary on Galatians 3. If you're ever looking for a good commentary on Scripture, if you can find another piece of Scripture as a piece of commentary, that's the way to go. And Romans 4 is the perfect commentary on Galatians 3. For in that chapter, Paul quotes the same Old Testament reference Right? Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. He quotes that same reference three separate times and he draws out three implications. So Romans 4, just real quick. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to run through this quickly. He says, number one, faith is a gift. Quoting the same reference, he says, faith is a gift. In verses 1 through 3 of Romans 4, he says this, What shall we say then? What, shall, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What did Abraham find? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we see that Abraham had nothing to boast about. Nothing to brag about. It wasn't that Abraham said, I'm so smart that I believed God, he had nothing to boast about. It was his faith, his trust in God that was credited to him as righteousness, and even that was a gift from God. So having seen that faith is a gift, we see also from Romans 4 that faith is complete trust in God. Complete trust. Romans 4, verses 6-10, through he goes on and he quotes the same passage again, and he says, he says, David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works, David speaks of the same thing. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And then he goes on and he says, How then was it credited? Was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? 
not while circumcised, but uncircumcised. You see, Abraham had complete trust in God. He wasn't trusting in circumcision, for circumcision hadn't been asked of him yet. He wasn't trusting in the law, for the law hadn't been created yet. And these false teachers, they come to Galatia and they say, if you really want to be good Christians, you need to get circumcised. If you really want to be good Christians, you need to keep the law. The real path to peace with God is by pleasing God through good works. And Paul says, no. Faith is complete trust in God and His righteousness. And he writes that in Galatians 3, and he points back to that again in Romans 4. He says, Abraham wasn't trusting in circumcision. Abraham wasn't trusting in the law. So having seen that faith is a gift and faith is complete trust in God, thirdly, I want you to see from Romans 4 that faith results in obedience. Faith results in obedience. That Abraham grew, that he was sustained, and that he was empowered by grace. That God's grace in his life caused him to trust in God in such a way that he grew, and that he was sustained by that trust, and he was empowered by that trust. Romans 4, verses 20-22 through says this, With respect to the promise of God, he, this is Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. His faith was growing stronger day by day, and he was giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham stepped out because he grew stronger and stronger in faith. And when he made that first step, it allowed him to take a second step. And the second step allowed him to take a third step. It was God's grace active in his life. And he was giving glory to God the whole time because he knew it wasn't him, but the grace of God in him. And then Romans 4 says, Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Again, he quotes that same verse. See, Abraham had a faith that resulted in obedience because he had complete and total trust in God and he recognized that all of that was a gift from God Himself. So having seen that God by His grace opened Abraham's eyes, that God by His grace saved Abraham, that He declared him righteous, and that God by His grace grew and sustained and empowered Abraham, that Abraham that his faith was a gift that resulted in complete trust in God and produced obedience. In light of those things, how do we then apply this? How do we take these truths and how do we apply them? Or to say it like I so often say it, how do we, as Harmony Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately specifically, apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this message about Abraham being this example and then apply it? Well, we have in our text the word, therefore. He says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. He says, therefore, be sure that it's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Don't trust in your heritage. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean that you are right before God. And you say, what does that have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you. Because many of you grew up in a church. And just because you grew up in a church or your parents were Christians or because your great-grandfather came over on the Mayflower with a Bible in his hand or whatever, that doesn't mean that you are right before God. 
It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham who inherit this promise given to Abraham. He goes on, he says, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, not by works, by faith, preached the gospel, the good news of God's grace. He preached it beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you, regardless of color, regardless of your background, all the nations, everyone, there's only one way. So it's, it includes, it can include everyone. So it's, it's inclusive, but it's also exclusive. It's inclusive in that anybody can come to God through faith, by faith. But it only happens by faith. So it's open to all, but received only by some. It says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are the sons who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham. So our, our application is first, number one, we need to understand that salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. And many of you say, I get that. I've been here. I, I'm here week after week. I hear that. I understand that. We need to understand that it's not by birth, not by ceremony, not by one's own righteousness, but by grace through faith. But then if you have believed that, and I pray that you have. I pray that God has opened your eyes to that truth. I pray also that secondly, you would believe God like Abraham. He goes on and he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So the point of application for us is be someone who is of faith. And those who are of faith conveys the idea of active, ongoing faith. Faith that results in action. It's not about saying a prayer, walking an aisle. I say that week after week. It's about trusting in Him and stepping out in faith and serving Him. So it's not about saying a prayer or walking an aisle. Instead, it's about always praying and always walking. And it's not that our praying and our walking earns us righteousness before God. It's that when we are made right with God, the natural result is for us to grow. The natural result is for us to work. The natural result is for us to bring Him glory with our lives. That's the kind of faith spoken of in James. The kind of faith that said, some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. The kind of faith that James speaks of when it, says, when it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that, his, that faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected or faith was completed. Faith was shown to be real as a result of his works. And I think there's real danger here. There's real danger in thinking that we can believe something and that makes us justified. It's more than belief. Genuine faith is trust. It goes on and says, and Scripture was fulfilled. This is James. and says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see that man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Not by faith that stands alone is what James is saying. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But it wasn't a faith that stood alone. It was a faith that was accompanied by works. 
Thomas Schreiner says this. He says, James is not saying that our works make us righteous before God, but that real saving faith is demonstrated by good works. Works are not the cause of salvation. Works are the evidence of salvation. Faith in Christ always results in good works. The person who claims to be a Christian but lives a life of and willful disobedience to Christ has either a false or dead faith and is not saved. So there's a real danger, I think, for us. There's danger on one side that we abandon salvation by faith alone. And we act like the false teachers that we're trying to be justified by our works. Well, I come to church, I put money in the offering plate, and therefore I should be justified before God. Well, I encourage you, if you think you're going to be justified before God by coming to church, by serving as an usher, by putting money in the plate, to not do those things. Don't do them any longer. They're not making you righteous before God. And the danger is that we abandon salvation by grace through faith alone, and that we think that somehow we can earn our salvation. But then there's also the other danger. And I think this is where we, churches like us, are more apt to struggle. We teach that the doctrine of salvation, salvation by faith, that stands alone. So we say, yes, salvation is by grace through faith, and it stands alone. That my great-great-nephew, I remember one time he was here, it was 1986, he, we had a great service, and, and brother so-and-so gave the gospel message, and he came down, he walked the aisle. And he was forever, he, he was saved, forever saved. Yeah, I know he denies Christ now, and I know he's, he's in prison for these horrible things, and I know that he has never darkened the door of a church, and I know that he uses the Lord's name in vain, and I know that he doesn't pray, and I know that he doesn't read his Bible, and I know that he would completely deny every Christian doctrine there is, but salvation by grace through faith alone. He had faith at that moment. It's not what the Scripture's referring to. It's those who are of faith, who are continuing in faith, who are persevering in the faith, and it's not because they're strong enough to persevere, it's God's grace. So when we lift up the gospel, the true gospel is salvation by grace through faith that is accompanied by good works. It's salvation by grace through faith alone, but it doesn't stand alone. And I say that because it gives God the glory. So when we lift up the gospel on Sunday morning, we praise God that He's allowed us, that He's given us the grace to preach the gospel, that He's given us the grace to put money in the offering plate, that He's given us the grace to come to church and lift up His holy name. You see, salvation is by grace through faith. Just in closing, one of the... I've got several closings, by the way. Just uh, one of the things that has... One of the hymns that's always bothered me is Trust and Obey. I was singing it earlier to myself before the sermon. Because I've often thought of it this way, like, well, I'm going to trust and obey, like obeying was somehow necessary for me to trust. But that's not at all. I actually even read through the the lyrics earlier, and and I thought, I'm going to sing that in a new way. That I trust, and the natural result of that is that I obey. That as I trust God, that He causes me to obey. Praise God, that is the life of the believer. And we become further and further indebted to God and His grace. That we understand that salvation is by grace through faith, and then therefore we believe God. We step out in obedience, trusting God that He is able. I'm not able. 
Folks, if it was up to me, I would never, ever, ever preach another sermon again. I'm not able. It's God who is able. Folks, if it was up to us, we probably wouldn't darken the door of the church. We wouldn't share the gospel with our neighbor. Praise God for His grace. Those things don't earn God's favor. In fact, we're further indebted to God because He gives us grace in doing those things. So let's praise Him for the grace that He has shown us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your unbelievable, unmerited favor. God, I pray that You would be with us. God, that You would help us to remember that it is Your grace that has opened our eyes to the truth of Your promises. That it is Your grace that has saved our souls, that has declared us righteous before You. God, that it is only because of Jesus and His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His atoning sacrifice that we can stand before You and be declared righteous. God, I praise You for that. I praise You for the grace You've bestowed on us in that. And God, I praise You for Your grace. Your grace that enables us to stand up under trial. Your grace that not only gives us the strength to serve You, but sustains us and empowers us. God, I praise You for that. And I pray that we would be eager to live in such a way that we are recipients of grace day by day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.